I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Uh, Today we're here with Charles Seaman. He's a native of Brooklyn, New York, and he currently lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. He serves as the, the Senior Acquisition Manager and Asset Manager of Three Oaks Management. Um, and I would love to go ahead and let Charles kind of tell you his backstory and, and uh, where Three Oaks Management is headed. But um, thanks for joining me today, Charles. How are you doing? Good, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so absolutely. absolutely. As Jason alluded to, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, and that might be given away by the accent. Uh, my start in commercial real estate probably came a little bit different than that of most others. And for me, it was really something that I, I stumbled into and developed an interest in and then decided to pursue that path, whereas many other people actively seek it out. But for me, my story started when I was 20 years old. And at that time, uh, I was young, dumb, and broke. And I needed a job that would, that would pay the bills. So, you know, I, I had a limited number of options at that point. But one of the options I had was working for a guy who was a friend of the family. Uh, I, I was a friend of the family, I should say. And I didn't really know what I'd be doing initially when I first started there. And it probably took me some time even after I started there to figure out what I'd be doing. But he had multiple different businesses. And one of those businesses was commercial real estate. He was a commercial real estate investor and he would, he would buy several different commercial real estate assets and he would own and operate them. So I got some really good experience being involved with him and learning from a guy who was very successful how to acquire and how to operate and how to run these types of assets. So fast forward, you know, a couple of years, you know, about 10 years, actually, uh, 2014 or 15. And at that point, they'd been at my job about 10 years. And they always knew that I wanted to go out and do my own thing. But sometimes in life, as, as things happen, you start making a little bit more money, you get a little bit more comfortable, you had more responsibility. And I may have forgot initially what I had set out to do, because I, I didn't really intend to stay at my job for so long. And around that time, I I knew that I didn't have the budget for commercial real estate. So I thought to start with residential real estate. And I started looking into potentially buying some single family homes and also getting into wholesaling. And I I quickly determined two things. One was that, you know, the skill set I had was already very sharply developed for commercial real estate, but it was not as sharply developed for residential real estate. So it would have meant me investing a lot of time to develop new skills that would have been transferable into the residential space. And the second thing I realized was I just didn't like residential real estate as much. So between those two things, I took somewhat of a back step from residential real estate. And then fast forward a little bit further to 2016. And that was the first time that I personally discovered syndication. And to me, that was eye-opening because I said, you know what, it allows me to use the skill set that I already have. And it allows me to do what I enjoy. And he allows me to use other people's money. So I said, this worked out really well. <laughs> yeah. And and at that point, I started taking some different courses in 2017 and 18. Uh, the good news was that 
with a lot of the training courses that I take and they reinforced what I was already doing at my full-time job. So at least it was good to know that a lot of the ways I was learning to do things and ways I was accustomed to doing them was, was correct. So fast forward further, I met my two partners at one of these training events in late 2017. Uh, we decided to start working together because at that time we all had different, uh, different businesses, different jobs and different things in our lives. So we decided that we can get more done together than we could separately. And you know, fast forward little by little in mid 2017, I started actively looking for syndication deals. But let me rephrase that for multifamily deals that I could syndicate. And I was putting in a part time effort, probably working 10 to 15 hours a week, because I still had a full time job that on, on the low side required 60 hours of time. And on the high side, some weeks I was up to 90 hours. So the, the key was consistency. And I knew for me that if I, if I ever wanted to get out of that job, to me, I knew that the answer was I had to start building something slowly in my spare time. So that way I would have enough income to eventually replace my job salary. And, you know, after about two years and, and looking at north of a hundred deals, submitting a fair amount of offers coming close on one, coming close on a few, but really close on one, uh, you know, I, I started rethinking my strategy because I realized you know, I can keep doing this part-time, but it's going to take me 10 years to get a deal. <laughs> yeah. And around mid-2019, I decided to leave my full-time job in New York, and I relocated to Charlotte, North Carolina in June 2019. And the reason I chose Charlotte is because my partners and I decided to focus in the Carolinas. So I figured, how do you get to know your target market better than by living and working in the target market and getting familiar with the people and customers? So I said, let's put myself right in the center of it. And fast forward to where we are now, I closed my first deal September of 2019. Since then, we've closed two more. And right now, as we're recording this podcast, uh, we actually have three deals on the contract. Congratulations. That's Thank awesome. You. That's really great. I like uh, a couple of things there, I think, that are, are really good points. One, you know, when you, when you start out in your 20s, you said young, dumb, and broke. <laughs> it's it, in some ways that's almost <laughs> that's almost a better way to get into real estate or uh real estate investing or entrepreneurial type endeavors because maybe you're you have less to lose you don't have that comfort level that you talked about once you'd been at your job for 10 years where you're just like hey now i have this really nice salary it's kind of hard to give that up and and dive into something new that's not certain right and so i think people a lot of people myself included get you know sort of you get into that mode of of comfort and so sometimes i think i, I look at some of the the really young guys that are doing this and i'm like that's that's the way to go just get <laughs> just dive right in in there and you found you know you were sort of lucky enough too to find a mentor in the space right off the bat so i i think you know it, it's maybe uh, maybe people listening don't know that, you know, mentors are very hard to come by. And a lot of times now, you know, people pay for a mentor to help them kind of get into this business. So I think you, you maybe didn't even know that you did <laughs> the things that you did at that time that, you know, then, as you mentioned, help you kind of grow from there. Right. And then I think the other really cool thing that you did that you talked about is moving from New York to, to Charlotte, because, I mean, I'm originally from Boston. The, the Northeast is a very different place than 
the Carolinas. And it's, you know, my wife is from Charlotte, North Carolina. So I know, I know the area well, and uh, I know that there's big differences. And so if you're going to focus on investing there, it makes a whole lot of sense to, to be there and actually kind of get a real good lay of the land. So yep. what did you do? So when you moved, had you, were you, you were no longer working a W-2 job when you moved to Charlotte, you kind of stopped and moved or were you still working? So, so initially I wasn't working any W-2 job. Uh, I hadn't really decided what I was going to do. And I, I kind of said, let's, let's play it by ear and see my, my, my ideal situation would have been to make a full-time go of the syndication business. But as we record this, I still do have a part-time W-2 job just to bring consistent income. Yeah. And what I tell people is syndication is very lucrative, but it is definitely more of a marathon than a sprint. So it's something that as you start building your track record, you'll start making some good money, but you should expect that there'll probably be three to five years of hard work with little pay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. I mean, there's a lot of really cool stories out there. I feel like, you know, the myself, when I was listening, I listened to a lot of podcasts and you see a title that says, you know, 500 units in six months or something, something really enticing like that. You're like, yeah, that's what I want. But that's not really what typically happens, right? It's like your your story of it taking years, and and myself too. I'm realizing it's not nearly as uh, quick of a process as I would like, and so it's kind of you, you still need to pay the bills as you go. So totally, right. totally makes sense. Well, and, then and one other thing that's probably not touched on on a lot of podcasts, uh, but it, it's you know even when you get those 500 units, unless you're very established, which most of us most of us aren't when we're first jumping into the space. You're probably only keeping a very nominal percentage of those of those deals, so you're not really going to make enough to live off of. But it's more building your track record, and that's the important thing starting out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and that, that's actually a really good point. Is it's you know when people say they have whatever number of units or however many millions of dollars uh, assets under management, those are a lot of things that are put out there. It doesn't. I think from someone from the outside that wouldn't realize that that doesn't mean that you personally own by yourself, you know, 500 units, or you personally have $50 million worth of real estate that you own outright. There's a lot of uh, leverage that goes into it, good leverage, right? So leveraging your, um, with lending. So you're, you know, when you buy a, a an asset and it's just, it's say it's $10 million, well, like, $7 million of that is a bank loan. So you don't have, it's not like people are dropping 10 millions of dollars of cash when they yep. go buy these things. And I think may, maybe probably people don't, don't all, all realize that that are outside the space. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a good thing to talk about though is, so when you moved to Charlotte, uh, what did you do? What did you sort of implement for yourself that was going to, you felt was going to you know, sort of raise your game in multifamily syndication and what worked and, and if anything didn't work, what, you know, kind of what experiences, so maybe people listening that are trying to get where you're at might know, okay, these things work, these things don't work. What, what would you say kind so of fit? There was a couple of things I would say. So the, the first thing, and this was you know, definitely a big adjustment when I first started doing it, was when I was in New York, I was working you know, in an office in a more public setting. Uh, once I relocated to Charlotte, most days I'm typically working from home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, through the pandemic, I guess many of us have become accustomed to that, but it's, it's an adjustment. You know, you have to really adjust yourself and say, okay, I have to stay focused. So it required me to become better disciplined and to be able to better control 
myself and what I do because it's very easy when you're at home to find distractions. You can find yeah. other things to be doing that, you know, take you away from what you should be doing. Whereas when, you, when you're in an office and you're working for somebody else, uh, you're probably less likely to do that because there's a good chance there's somebody that's going to be watching you. So it, it was definitely an adjustment. It took a lot of mental conditioning to be able to adjust to that. But now I think I, I pretty much have it down to a science. I'm able to stay focused, but it was definitely a transition. Uh, a second thing I would say, and to me, this is something I always advocate for, and especially for anybody that's on the acquisition side of their business trying to find deals, is get in front of brokers in person. You know, it's one thing to be a voice on the phone. It's one thing to be an email. But to me, you just have a different connection when you're able to, to reach out to them in person. So for me, that's one of the big things I, I was hoping to achieve by moving, and it's been successful. You know, with the guys that I that I deal with on a regular basis, I usually take them out for drinks or lunch or, or whatever it may be. Almost every two to three months, it's almost like on a on a schedule. Uh, so that way, I keep 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 jumping in front of them. And I also tour properties, and there's a lot of times I tour properties that I have zero interest in, but I tour them just because it gives me the chance to get more face time with the broker. So those are things that, that definitely made a big change. And then also just getting more familiar with the area. So, so another part of my reason for moving was to really immerse myself in the, in the area and to get familiar with the people and the culture and things like that. So being here firsthand gives me the opportunity to immerse myself in different things and just see how people live, how people react and get, get to know them better and how they, how they operate. So those are the big changes I found moving, moving to Charlotte and putting myself right in the target area. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine, you know, sort of that getting, getting in there and kind of uh, seeing what the culture is of, of that area, whatever, you know, whatever market it is that you're investing in, aside from FaceTime with the brokers, if you're, you know, sort of living that culture in that market, I, I would imagine it also helps you on the asset management side where you can kind of see, Hey, this is what, this is what tenants expect. This is what they like. This is what I can do to my properties to sort of make it a desirable place uh, and, and get a real good feel for you know, sort of elevating your property over the competition. I, I would, I would think that would also be very beneficial. Right. Yeah. So, so that's something important you touch on. So different people in different areas expect different things. And, you know, real estate to me is very much a localized business. So it's important to understand with whatever area you're in, what the expectations are, you know, so the expectations in New York are going to be very different from the expectations in Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, and they might also be very different from the expectations that you'd have in Los Angeles. So yeah. really understand the market or markets that you're focusing on. And while it's not important to be physically present in every market you're in, you should at least have somebody who can be boots on the ground that does have that understanding and that competency. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes total sense. Um, I think talking about sort of those broker relationships is actually a really good uh, point to bring up because, you know, you, you mentioned you're sort of regularly meeting with them, going out for drinks, getting them lunch, something like that, just staying in front of them. Would you touch on, you know, sort of why that's important? Because again, I think that's something that maybe people outside of the space don't necessarily know why that because if you think about it from a it's very different in residential real estate right it's like you're not you're more right. like picking the house and then whatever realtor comes along with it okay great that i think is is more of the attitude but when you're talking about commercial real estate would you touch on you know why that's so important to be yes. be in front of them 
So the difference between residential and commercial real estate, in my perception, is that residential is more transactional. Most times, if you're an agent or you're a wholesaler, there's a good chance you're not going to be selling a deal to the same person again too soon. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a residential real estate agent, I sell somebody a house that they're going to be moving into with their family, there's a good chance it's at least five to seven years before I'm selling them another house. Right. And that's, that's on the fast side. Yep. If they actually stay there 10 or 15 years, then, then it may be even longer than that. Yep. On the commercial side, it is very much relationship-based and it's, it's dealing with the same people over and over again. So while I do have multiple broker relationships in the Carolinas, what I would say is that you really, in most time, most cases, you'll probably have three to five that you really have good relationships with. And those will be the ones who bring you the bulk of your deals. So what'll happen is you're going to spend time cultivating those relationships and making sure that you have a strong, a strong bond. So, so part of it is you need to be able to close and perform. Obviously, if you can't do that, that's not going to bode too well for getting a deal. But other than that, it comes down to likability and commonality. So what separates somebody like us from an institutional investor? So not, obviously they have more money behind them. Uh, th there's little doubt that they'll be able to close, but some of those people are, are tough to deal with. Um, so if given the choice, you know, sometimes brokers will, will take somebody they have a good relationship with. Uh, now, again, obviously it depends on the deal. It depends on what the seller wants. So there's, there's a lot of components that go, to, go into it, but having that good relationship and establishing commonality will give you opportunities that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're sort of maybe saying something without saying it explicitly is that with, with residential, right? Although you may not be talking directly to the seller, you're essentially, the realtor is kind of just the middleman. You make an offer, they counter, it goes back and forth. If, if you're in commercial real estate and you don't have broker relationships, there's a very good chance you won't even see the deals, right? It just won't, they won't even come across your desk. And then if, even if you see them, the broker then steers those sellers at, in a direction as to who they think is going to be the buyer that they should go with, because, you know, the, the money, the offers may not be that different, or they might even be a little bit different, but if they know that you're a closer and they know that you're likable and easy to work with, then the broker is going to tell the seller that, and it's going to be, it's going to make it easier for you to close those deals. If you've got them on your side, you hit the nail on the head. So actually one of the deals that we're working on currently. Um, so you know, for anybody that that's never been through the process, what typically happens is for a deal that's on market, anybody that's interested in bidding on it has to submit an offer. And then the broker reviews those offers with the seller and they usually choose a couple of them that they advance to what's called the best and final round. And, and basically what that means is you have to go back and fine tune your offer and do whatever you can to sweeten it and make it better for the seller. Okay. So in this particular deal, we had made it to the best and final round. It was us and one other group. And the other group was at least $200,000 higher on price than we were, maybe 300. Uh, and I think they, they probably had at least the same terms that we did, maybe better terms. So you may be saying, well, how did we get the deal? So the other group was West Coast based. Uh, we're, we're here in Charlotte, the deals in Greensboro, which is about an hour and a half away. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, the, and the other group actually had transactions they closed. So it wasn't really even a credibility thing because they were probably just as credible as we were, maybe even more so. But what it came down to is the broker vouched for us 
course, the broker hadn't dealt with this particular buyer before. So even though they did have transactions closed, they didn't vouch for them because they didn't know them. Yeah. They vouched for us. So the seller ultimately decided to go with us, even at a lower price and, and possibly worse terms because the broker vouched for us and put in a good word for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's tremendously important and, and frankly, not something that I realized kind of off the bat. It's not people talk about, you have to have good relationships with the brokers, but it's really the whole market is controlled by the brokers. And so they're right. like having those relationships, it's the, it's the only way really to, unless you're able to go, you know, sort of direct to seller on our market deals on every single deal, which just isn't, you're going to run out of deal. You're not going to have a lot of deal flow that way. Right. So it's and the not thing very is, easy to do. When you're looking at 50 units plus, it's a rarity that happens. So like I know with one of our deals, we had somebody approach us and I even told them, and I, I know other groups that would do this too. I said, listen, I, I'm glad to deal with them. And if, if the numbers work out, we're glad to even sell it to you. But I would still have the broker involved just for broker relations. So yeah. the, the, the unwritten rule is that the broker that brings you the deal also unloads the deal for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes total sense. I mean, and yeah. it's, you know, they, 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 and they deserve it. They do a lot of work. It's, it's not easy to, to market these deals. Uh, and that, you know, I'm sure a lot, you know, people listening haven't all seen the broker packages that they put out there and like going through all the research to figure out, you know, what the right market price will be and, and, you know, sort of entertaining all that. So they're, they're very busy, their time's valuable and, and, uh, sort of as investors, uh, it's important to, to sort of, treat them that way and, and be respectful of their time. So I think you bring up some, some really great points of how, how important the, the relationships with them are. Um, tell me, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I know this, but I think it'd be a great thing to get out there about um, your underwriting. Absolutely. So group so that you formed the, the underwriting group started really organically. It wasn't something that I planned, but initially in late 2019, early 2020, we, we started bringing some people on that, you know, we, we, we would call them unpaid interns. And basically what we would do is give them free training on the acquisitions and the broker relations side of the business. And in exchange, they would look for deals on our behalf in different markets that we weren't actively looking at. So at the time it worked because it increased the amount of deal flow we had. Uh, it also led to a lot of additional time in my schedule because there was a lot of one-on-one -on -one time spent with different people. And when we started doing those sessions, it was really just for the, the people that were part of the team. And initially being that most of them were local to the Charlotte area, because there were people that we met at meetup events or different things like that, we were doing them in person. So then at the outset of the pandemic, we couldn't meet in person anymore. So we started hosting them on Zoom. And as we were doing that, I thought to myself and said, well, what's the difference if I have four people or 40 people? It doesn't make a difference. I'm doing the same yeah. work either way. So why not open it up to more people? Yeah. And over the coming months, I started mentioning it as I went on podcasts and it seemed to just organically grow. Uh, so, you know, what Jason's saying is normally every Saturday, what we do is we get together on Zoom. And if anybody's listening to the podcast and they're interested, they're more than welcome to reach out and we can put you in there. So we go through a live underwriting of a multifamily deal. We do a different deal each week and we, we encourage the sessions to be interactive so that way everybody can benefit from them. I can learn. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And we'll we'll put all of your contact and everything like that in the show notes so people have it. But um, I think one one thing that I think, aside from just straight up learning underwriting from someone who has been doing it and knows how to do it well, 
there's it, again it's another networking component so here's here's more relationships you're having this group this sort of underwriting mastermind where people are able to interact and i think you know i'm sure as deals come across and different deals are getting underwritten people are going to find the opportunities to work together and and you know get get towards other deals right and and like many deals in the market a lot of the deals we look at don't have much potential but then occasionally you know we'll have one week where something seems like it may have a little bit so you know if, if anybody's interested then we we kind of group together and see who might want to take the lead on it and and go forward to work together on that yeah yeah no it's it's a great uh it's a great group i and it's i think the just looking at it from a learning underwriting standpoint isn't even doing it service. I think it's actually a, a greater, greater than that even. Um, well, Charles, there's, there's some questions that I kind of like to ask as part of each podcast. Um, and we'll kind of go through those here. Um, the first one is, of course, the name of the podcast is Know Your Why. So, so what is your why, Charles? What, what drives you? What kind of makes you uh, it made you leave New York. It made you kind of get into this full time. What, what's your driving force? Jason, that's a great question. And it's something that, you know, I, I think for me and probably for most people is ever evolving. Uh, when I was when I was 19 years old and I first discovered the, the concept of passive income, uh, my initial goal was to retire young and just have financial freedom. Um, I'm, I'm 36, so I guess, you know, I'm not too old yet. But I, I haven't quite hit that goal yet, so I'm still working on the you know, the ever elusive goal of financial freedom. But really, that's my first goal, and and I wouldn't say that would be my my final goal because over the last 16 years, I've gotten used to working a, a pretty lengthy schedule uh, to the point where I wouldn't even know what to do with myself if I if I had so much more time. Right. So, uh, what I would say is that the first goal is financial freedom. And, you know, for anybody out there that's listening, I'm sure many of us have read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I'll use his definition of financial freedom. And that's just having more passive income than you have expenses. So it doesn't make you rich. It doesn't make you, you know, anything too far above ordinary, but it makes you able to survive and sustain your lifestyle without needing to work. Now, after that, I would say my, my next why, um, you know, aside from just achieving personal success and personal uh, financial freedom and independence would be to do some more nonprofit work. And depending on, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of taken different shapes for me. When I was younger, I would have told you that my intent would have been to start a nonprofit that spreads financial education to the masses on, on a more widespread basis, because I think it's something that's severely lacking from our education system. Perfect. And I think it's something that would benefit the average person far more than algebra or chemistry would. Yeah. So I think there's a need for it. And I think uh, that's something. And then also for me, I happen to be an animal lover, which, you know, I know probably resonates with you as well. Yeah. So as I've gotten older, I, I say, you know what? I, I, I jokingly say I probably like animals better than people. Uh, maybe not jokingly. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's probably most of us in the, in the veterinary yeah. world. So I, I understand that sentiment. Yeah. And, and doing some type of nonprofit with animals, I think would always be a good thing that I, I'd like to get into. So that would be the the bigger picture is some type of nonprofit and giving back. Yeah, no, that, that's fantastic. And I, I, I think your point about, you know, the sort of the why uh, evolving over time is very relevant. I, I think because your why when you're 20 and your why when you're 40 and your why when you're 60 
very, very unlikely that that's going to be the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Right. Like we, you, maybe you have achieved, you know, once you've accomplished that first why of financial freedom, now it's like, okay, well now every bit I make after that, now I can start putting into these causes where I'm uh, spreading financial education and I'm, you know, helping animals or, you know, whatever the case may be. So right. that's, that's something that I think is, is very, um, it, to me, it's it's bigger than just sitting on a pile of money. Like I think yep. the people that are successful in life, they're not their goal is not to just have like stacks of <laughs> hundreds under their bed. You know that's that's not the point. The point is to to give back. You know, set yourself yep. up and your family up, and then and then give back. So um, that's awesome. Charles, tell me something about yourself that people don't know that you'd like to to get out there in the world for the listeners. Some it can be a hobby, uh, a guilty pleasure, what, whatever you think uh, would be appropriate. What, what's something that you can share? Well, I mean, for me personally, I guess my, my, my two biggest hobbies would definitely be pro wrestling and also my, my love of animals. So I would say those would be my, my two big hobbies. Uh, now, for anybody that follows me on social media, I'm sure that they, they've seen at least a few wrestling references through the years because for better or worse, that's, that's, that was always my first love. Yeah. When, I, when I was younger and, and growing up, that was my... Uh, my, my outlet and my source of entertainment. And I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. So those would be my, my two major hobbies that I always enjoy. So do you wrestle or you're you just, no, no, just it? a fan. I, I should probably yeah. do a little more exercising, but, but <laughs> um, no, more watching it on TV and, and in the past live events, pre pandemic. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. It's funny. I, for whatever reason, it was never a big thing when I was a kid, but my wife really loved it. Like she was a big wrestling fan. So she's, she would probably be able to uh, have a better conversation about wrestling than I would in terms of uh, basically uh, I remember, gosh, the undertaker. That's who I was a big fan of when I was a kid. The undertaker was my favorite, but I, I never uh, followed it that, that much. Um, we'll have everything in the show notes, but is there a sort of best way to reach you? Yes, absolutely. I'll give you two ways. Uh, one is by text and my cell phone number is 347-306-3278. And the second is by email. And that's Charles at Three Oaks, the number three, O-A-K-S, M-G-M-T, like management.com. Okay, awesome. And we'll definitely have that stuff in the show notes as well. So people uh, should reach out to you. Um, and I can vouch that it will be a value... <laughs> value-packed conversation. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that people will reach out to you. Um, one final question for you. What, what piece of advice would you give to people that maybe came, you know, sort of from a similar background as you? Uh, and I think you've, you've touched on some things, some very valuable advice, but what might you, what might else you put out there for the listeners? I'll, I'll make this short and sweet. I'm going to sum it up with one thing that applies to just about anything in life. Be persistent and don't quit. You know, regardless of what your starting situation is and regardless of what limitations or, or different circumstances you may come from, if, if you are persistent enough and you don't quit, you may have some failures along the way. But if you keep on going, eventually you're going to get up and you're going to reach the destination you were striving to achieve in the first place. So just make sure you don't quit. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I, and I think you're, I, it applies to real estate investing, but it really applies to literally everything in life you just if you don't give up uh you, you haven't lost yet so i think right. i think that's awesome advice 
Um, Charles, thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, I think you provide a lot of value value for anyone listening. Um, and I do hope that you'll get a lot of people reaching out because I think you, you provide quite a bit of, of resource and, and experience. So thank you so much. Jason, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to sign off here. Have a good day, everyone. You too.